In this podcast, Pamela Barty, a Forbes 30 under 30 entrepreneur and developer of a $100 million real estate empire, will share her inspiring underdog comeback story. And along with those of her guests, she'll share how you too, as an underdog, can rise up and succeed against all odds. Here's your host, Pamela Barty. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Underdog. Today, I have a rock star guest here with me. Mac, how are you? I'm doing good. How about yourself? You're out there saving the world, though, so I think you're doing better than I am. So, <laughs> um, And I guess all of us are contributing in our own small ways to solving some of the challenges the world faces, and I can say the same for you as well. You're doing great. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to get into your story and just hear about you, your story, what you've been up to in the world and what's sort of coming up next for you. But I guess the first question would be, and it's a loaded one, I'm sorry for the loaded question, but what led you on your journey to where you are today? Thank you very much. Uh, first of all, let me, uh, let me take this moment to recognize you for giving me the opportunity to come on here and to share this inspirational and transformational path that you're on. Sort of one way or the other, also commend you on the great job that you're doing not only disseminating great stories about people, but also trying to shed light on how people like myself or entrepreneurs or people who one way or the other might be underdogs can leverage some of these stories in order to come to the conclusion that it is within their potentiality to also rise to the occasion and do amazing things. So thank you for that as well. Amen. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. So now back to your story what I describe as a circuitous journey, a very winding journey from a small village in the north of Ghana. And growing up, there was not much to look up to. You know, we didn't have running water. We didn't have electricity. But I enjoyed studying with curls and lanterns in the evenings. I, together with many other children, wake up in the morning and walk so many miles, you know, to, to fetch water from the Volta Lake. But, you know, one reason or the other, just sort of believe that maybe if I give it my all, that if I worked hard, maybe I could emerge from that community and make something of my life. So that's what I did. So by the grace of God and the support of a lot of other people, you know, friends, family, dedicated teachers, I was able to come out of that small village to first to high school in, in the south of Ghana. The thing about high schools at the time was that they weren't free. Now, the country of Ghana has free education at, from the kindergarten to high school uh, level. But during my time, high schools weren't free. So if your parents didn't have money, you couldn't go to a good one. Wow. So I was accepted at one of the very good high schools in the country. But because my father had suffered a stroke just when I was about to graduate from junior high school. So they couldn't afford the high school that I'd been accepted to. So I had to make do. First, with the high school that was in the community that I grew up, so I did that for about a year, and then moved to the south of Ghana, where I went to Adidoma Secondary School. Um, secondary schools were the fancy ones were like boarding houses. So you, you lived on campus, you had access to good food, good teachers, all that kind of stuff. But mine didn't have that. And these were classrooms that were in abandoned warehouses built during the Soviet era. You know, Ghana at some point had a very good relationship with the USSR. So there was, uh, I think, pockets of factories that had been built by the Russians in the country. 
So my high school was in one of those abandoned warehouses. And there was even light, lighting was very, very bad. Sometimes you have to even squint your eyes to be able to see clearly. <laughs> but by the grace of God and the sheer support of the few dedicated teachers that we had, we had, I was able to come out of that place, first to the University of Ghana, which was my first time in Accra. You know, when I arrived at the University of Ghana, this was in at a time when I didn't even have a place to sleep. So I had to make do with putting my very, very tiny mattress on the floor in a very, very small room that was meant for maybe two or three people. There was over, over 10 people in that room. So very overcrowded place, you know, but I was okay with that, putting the hard work and just believe in the grace and support of friends, family. And uh, in my third year, I won the green card lottery, which uh, entitled me to everlasting stay in the United States of America. So came to Boston, first to Brighton, and started from the bottom. I'll come to that later, but had a very, very long journey from those humble beginnings to graduating from Harvard in 2019, as you had already learned about. So this is just, in essence, the meat a summary of the journey and all of that. Incredible. It really blows my mind because it's like you literally went from studying in your home with lanterns back home to Harvard. Right. That's insane. That is remarkable. Like if that's not underdog, like I don't know what is, right? For to have that faith and just keep going and like believing in yourself and your education. I mean, that is Oh my gosh, it's so powerful. It it truly is. It truly, truly is. And we have a lot of parallels in in our stories too, you know, coming from different countries and coming here on visa and that sort of thing. But one of my questions to you is, you know, as a kid growing up, like what did you want to be when you grew up? Oh man, <laughs> that's an interesting <laughs> question, you know. I think when I was young, actually, my first inclination was toward the arts. So I had actually naturally developed an affinity for sculpting. I was able to make things out of clay. So I would make little monkeys and different kinds of animals. I hadn't gone to school to learn that, but I was not just naturally had a gallery. So that was what I was inclined to when I was young. But, you know, this was a time when our parents didn't really believe in the arts or the pursuit of creative endeavors as the right future for their children. They were particularly interested in like law, engineering, med medicine, and things along those lines. So... That was my initial inclination, but I was sort of dissuaded from that by the constant punishment because you had to go and, you know, fetch clay. You had to walk so many miles. You made yourself very dirty. <laughs> so yeah. my dad wasn't particularly happy with that. But I think the fundamental thing that people knew me for was my affinity for knowledge and the world beyond the confines of that small place. I say that because I remember when I was young, this was in the early 80s when access to information was very, very scant. So when I was growing up, if anyone had a television set, a TV, which was like black and white, they were considered like rich people. <laughs> and I remember sometimes on Sundays when they had a particular kind of show, it was called drama, a can drama. You had to go and stand in a window to be able to see that. Like you, you couldn't even go to the people's house. You had to like stand in a window to be able to watch those shows. But back to what my particular inclination or passion was, was for the world. And, I, and so every day, there was one particular man who was close to our house who ordered newspapers. It was called Daily Graphic. And that was the only source of, one of the, one of the sources of information about the world. So I'd go and sit there, and they didn't really allow young people to read the newspapers. It was mostly older 
people. And so sometimes I have to sit there for like three to four hours for older people to come and read it. When they leave, that's when I would hold on to it. And then I'll try to devour as much information as I, as I could. And so that gave me a sense of, I became sort of the repository for knowledge in the community. And so when people were in doubt about something, they would always say, go get Mac, you know? So I was very passionate about the world. I was the one who did other people's homework for them. You know, like a lot of students in the evenings would come. Some parents had, had even hired me to teach my peers who were like, were like similar in age but I was teaching them, you know? <laughs> I taught them how to read. I taught them how to do math. I remember we had a soccer team and I would say that everybody on the team was better than me, but all of them had a particular admiration and respect for me that they gave me the captain's armband. Because oh. if you didn't and you had homework, you were screwed. <laughs> <laughs> so I would say that I had a particular knack for the world. So maybe journalism could have been great or even law. I had this affinity for, you know, like language and sort of, I just love the flow and the beauty and, you know, vivacity and magnificence of language and all of that. So I think I would have made a very good journalist or even a lawyer. But yeah, so I would say growing up, not, not to sort of uh, keep dwelling on this, but that's, those are the earlier inclinations. But I was just multi-faceted, multi-disciplinary, multi-talented that I, you know, it became it was kind of difficult also to focus on one thing. <laughs> That's amazing. So it's like you were always an educator sort of from, from day one. And that was your passion, you know, to, to basically educate. And it's almost like a gift of yours because if other people were hiring you means you're gifted. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I mean, I, I've always been education is my passion. As I speak to you now, if I'm not doing something, I'm reading. If I don't, if I'm not busy, I'm reading. I, I read voraciously. Even after high school, I volunteered to go to my father's hometown. And so I was maybe around seven, no, around 18, yeah, 18. And I was actually teaching what would be the equivalent of fourth to fifth grade. So I taught them for one year. I volunteered to teach in my father's hometown. And then while I was at the University of Ghana, every time school was on recess, I'd go back to the uh, senior secondary school and I was, I was teaching social studies, economics. Mm. So what I'm doing now, to be honest, it never really feels like work. You know, yeah. I work sometimes, you know, 12 to 16 hours a day and it never feels like work. I'm, I'm, I'm in a good place. I feel very happy about creating opportunities for, you know, diverse people, people from underprivileged backgrounds, because it is in many ways just a passion of mine. Yes. And, and now for you, like who or what was your biggest source of inspiration like growing up? Oh, I mean, number one is my dad, my late dad. You know, God bless him. My dad had a proclivity for education. He wasn't educated himself. So my dad had never, I think he did maybe like in Ghana, they call it class four, like very basic. But he was very, very passionate about education. And so he instilled this sense of discipline. So my dad used to wake me up at 4.30 to 5 a.m. in the morning to study every day. Wow. So I'd do that to about like 6, 6.37 and then, then go draw water, which is like the fundamental role of a child in the house, right? Mm. Um, and then in the evenings, my dad was a disciplinarian. He was, you were pretty much scared of him. You know, he was, he had this, he was a typical African father. He was, he was passionate. He had a lot of love, but he was distant in a way to like, he was a disciplinarian. So in the evenings around six, seven, he had already, you had, had, had already bathed, had your dinner. 
and then you went back to studying from that time to like 10 maybe 10 30 11 you went you went back to bed woke up 4 35 again so my dad was a source of inspiration and he was extremely hardworking, you know, extremely hardworking, even though he didn't have the opportunity to go to school. He, he wanted his children to, to pursue education and to make something of themselves via that path. My dad was, I would say, was my, my biggest inspiration. I adore that. I adore that. So that's why you just kept going with school and just like were motivated by him because he instilled that in you at such a young age, which I think is so remarkable. And then when you won the visa lottery to come to the US, because I know it's ba- it's literally a lottery and a lot of people listening, like it's literally a lottery. You put your name in and your information. If you get chosen, that's when you go. If you don't get chosen, you don't go anywhere. But with like for me in Albania, like my parents' names got chosen. We got to go to the US. So we had two years to stay or go. Was it the same for you as well? In terms of how long it gets from winning the lottery to the visa being processed? Yeah, like how many is it, is it also too that they allow you two years basically to stay or go? Is it like the same circumstances or what specific time frames did they did they give you that you had to come to? I mean, U- this was over a decade ago, but you know, I think it took from like from the time of me to be honest, I actually didn't even know that the lottery existed. So that was also and there was an element of destiny or. I would say like metaphysical, a supernatural being involved. I, I met someone randomly who took a picture of me and then I got a letter in the mail a couple of months down the line that I had won the lottery. So it wasn't something that I knew about. Wow. It was just a sort of happenstance that actually led to that. So, you know, from the time that I got it to when I was completely befuddled because I didn't know what the lottery was or I didn't even know that anything of the sort existed. Yeah. I had to actually ask a couple of people at my institution who said oh yeah it's actually real and so that was when I went for the interview I think it took like six months and then I got the visa and then I came to Boston the Brighton was where I started yeah. my story even in the U.S. was one of pain and agony it was very difficult I started when I first arrived here this was I had actually already received my bachelor's degree but I had to start from the bottom you know mm-hmm. I started from Boston South Station bus terminal you're familiar with that place the South Station bus terminal? Yes, that's where I started. You started working there, like at, at like one of the restaurants? No, so I was what they call red cap. So when you arrive at the bus station, yeah, you would often put your, your bags and belongings on a cart. So the, oh, the person yeah. who pushed your cart from the bus station to get to the train station to get the train or to get a cab outside was me. Wow. So that's when... So people would often give me tips. That's why I started. So I remember when I first arrived there, um, I used to tell the people that I was working with that I wanted to go to an Ivy and they would just completely laugh. They would just was like, you go to an Ivy? You're kidding me, right? <laughs> like, you're a red cap. So that's why I started, you know, and then I, from then on, I graduated from the red cap, the same company, to security. So mm-hmm. as a security guard, when you arrived, the person who stood there, there is uh, an escalator. I don't know if you, you can picture uh, South Station bus terminal. When you got on the escalator and it brought you upstairs, there's usually a security guard standing over there. One of those was me. So that's where I started, but I never really gave up. You know, didn't have much of a family. I stayed with a couple of people from Ghana in Brighton and then went on to live with a bunch of other immigrants from you know uh, Central America it was difficult I remember one of the places that I even lived it was like 
infested with like bed bugs and those things used to bite me. I used to wake up in the morning and the whole wow. thing was full of blood. So oh. it was a, it wasn't easy. It wasn't the easiest of journeys, but I never really lost faith. I, I believe in the supremacy of God and his ability to, to lift people from the dull drums of uncertainty and worry and agony. And so studied for the, the GRE and all the tests you had to take and uh, gone on to, you know, Columbia, University of Cambridge and Harvard. So my journey has been a journey of the proverbial Joseph, you know, like just when I'm at the point where I think, oh my goodness, I'm about to, to get to the finish line. There's one set of challenge to overcome. So it's been a very continuous journey, but, and I do have a very strong feeling that this is my path because the work that I do, you really have to understand the people you're serving. And if you haven't really been through difficulty and agony and the pain of not knowing where your next meal is going to come from, not knowing where to sleep, where to get guidance, it's very difficult to be empathetic with them. And so in many ways, these are all challenges that I've gone through, but I'm, I'm very, very grateful to God to, that I've been able to go through hardship and difficulty and worry and agony and pain because I, I can feel very strongly for the people that I serve. I adore that. I love that you so you said that you started in the red cap and then you got into security. What went after that? What, how, how did your trajectory kind of go up from there? So, yeah, so, you know, from then on, you know, a couple of opportunities opened here and there. And then I got the opportunity to, you know, did my GREs and all the yeah. necessary tests you had to take. And then I was accepted at Georgetown University, Washington University in St. Louis. And Columbia. So I went to Columbia and then from then on to University of Cambridge and then Harvard in 2019. So I've been blessed. I've seen both sides of poverty, extreme poverty, and then also hobnobbing with people from, you know, extremely rich backgrounds and who are privileged. You know, when you go to Cambridge, for instance, you're wearing gowns every day to go to dinner and they serve all these fancy food. Sometimes I, I even thought I was in a completely different world. I used to ask myself, is this really me? Like, I remember I used to study at Lamont Library and you see people like Malia Obama studying not very far from you. are like, oh, is this really, is this real? Like, is this really me? So yeah, this is about a very, very interesting journey and uh, a lot of pain, but I'm also very grateful for every single experience, triumph or defeat. I love that. And what would you say was one of your biggest challenges? And so how did you overcome them? Because, I mean, I can see that your mentality and your faith has played a huge role in where you are because you just like, you were like, you know, what? I'm just going to keep moving forward by the grace of God and just keep going and keep plugging, which I find very remarkable. Was there in terms of like one or a couple of experiences that really like shaped you and like, how did you sort of bounce back from them, you know, and, and keep going? I think my background the genesis of my story from that small village you know if you don't if you didn't come from a lot you were always appreciative of the little that you get so even though i am in the united states of america and there is an abundance of things i, I started from the from the bottom but i just told myself you know if i if i look back juxtaposing where i am right now with where i came from you know i'm winning even though to a typical american you know like i'm i'm at the bottom of the pyramid but at the, at the end of the day, I've lifted myself from what, would, what was what I considered worse. So, and also because I already had a, I sort of just believed very strongly that I was on a path to something. And so I wasn't particularly worried. When I go through challenges, which I do a lot, 
I focus more on the future and also use the data from the past, reflect on that for the current uh, moment that I'm in, and then use that as projection for the future. You know, if I can come from that small village to where I am right now, I could go somewhere else. And that's very, very true, even in entrepreneurship. You know, you might have challenges and all of that, but always, I always have the faith that some way, somehow, the supernatural being God, Allah, you know, or whatever you believe in has something in stock for me or a path to, 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 to leverage that to, to help other people. Amen. Amen to that. Amen to that. And now, so you went from graduating Harvard and now you've got some amazing things on the horizon. How did you transition into sort of where you are now with Edme? Ed Acme. Ed Acme. Oh my God. Right. right. Ed Acme. Right. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no worries. Yeah, suddenly, granted that I've had a very long and difficult journey, and this has been largely the result of the mentorship and support of classmates, friends, family, faculty, teaching, teaching assistants, university administrators. I mean, I think it's fairly easy for people to celebrate me, but I think we need to recognize the fact that it's been the, the result of the work of a lot of people. This is a collective achievement. This is not a celebration of just me. And so when I graduated, I went to Ghana because I've always been very passionate about how do I leverage my journey to support other people? Because come to think of it, there's still thousands and millions of young people from underrepresented communities in the United States, Latin America, in Southeast Asia, on the African continent, who don't have access to education. You know, or even, as you know now, with all the diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives that are going on, from so many groups that have difficulty accessing opportunities by virtue of not having those resources. And so I'm thinking very, more broadly, how do I leverage my journey to play a pivotal role in serving these people and breaking these barriers of like access to opportunities, particularly in education and career development and entrepreneurship? And so that's how I came to, to launch at ACME to be able to play a pivotal role in helping people from underprivileged backgrounds, people of color, blacks, Latinx, and different kinds of people who don't usually have access to opportunity to be able to find that. And so basically this is the work that we've been doing. That's incredible. That's incredible. And like, what's on the horizon with that for like the next year? What are like your goals and different things that are sort of being released in the next year or so? We've been very, very fortunate to have had a long attraction of uh, institutions that have come on board and, you know, have made their offerings available to many of the students that we have. Harvard Kennedy School, MIT Sloan, Columbia SIPA, Columbia Teachers College, Carnegie Mellon, University of Chicago, McGill. So we've worked with several institutions to see how we could actually leverage, for lack of a better word, platform to help reach some of these some of these young people. So I think. And then next year, our goal is to reach a wider audience, make it possible for a lot of people from many of these communities or even international students to have access to opportunities or to make it possible for them to access educational opportunities so that we can break that barrier. So fundamentally, that's what we're working on. That's what we're doing. And I think we're getting traction. Things are growing day by day. And so over the long pool, we just want to be able to impact a lot of people at scale. And so fundamentally, that's what that's the what the energy is being spent on. That's what that's what the passion, the vivacity, and things like that are being uh, expended on. 
I adore that. I adore that. I just think what you're doing is, is so, so remarkable. And I just, I really, I love, I love what you're up to. And I can't wait to see what Ed Acme does like beyond because you're launching in the next few months. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so we're, we're, we're working on making sure that we create a very streamlined process. I think, you know, you know, as well as I do that any startup or institution or company is, is an experiment of sorts. So you figure things out as you go. You try to see what the fundamental needs of your of the people you serve are, both on the student side and on the institution side, or even on you know faculty or things of the sort. So I think every day we learn something new about the people that we're serving. And I think those are all good data to allow us to be able to create the best of solutions in order to help the people who need it the most. Absolutely. I adore that. And now, Mac, question for you. Like, what would be like your biggest piece of advice that your older self would tell your younger self based on what you know now and through your experiences? I'll say never lose hope. You know, believe if you have a goal, believe in it. Have faith. But more importantly, work hard. Work hard. Because I think sometimes people want to help you, but you kind of have to also do a bit of the legwork yourself. So if you're going through any sort of difficulty, whether you can afford food or uh, one kind of challenge or obstacle, never give up. Never, never give up. You know, sometimes I think the obstacle is there to test how, how much you actually want to be successful. Because success, like anything else, is not given to you on a silver platter. I sort of believe that some way, somehow, you, you have to give it your best. You're going to have challenges. Things are going to be difficult. Sometimes you'll cry and, and, and moan and go through difficulties, but never give up. You know, the, the, the more you want it, the more you have the fortitude, the resilience to withstand the challenges that will come. And they're going to come in so many ways as you pursue your goals. So that's what I would say to young people. Have an ambition, have faith. But even if you face challenges, never give up. Work really hard. Work really hard and give it your best. Sometimes you might come across someone who just believes in, who's seen the amount of work you put in yourself. And by virtue of that, will be willing to give you a helping hand to help you get to the next level. I adore that. And I mean, I just, your story is just so remarkable. I mean, to, to go from where you were to where you are now, and then like, look at you giving back now, right? Like everything, like, I'm sure you see yourself as a mirror and you're like, I remember that kid, right? I remember that kid with the lantern right? Like now I want to help you. I think, I think it's remarkable that you've gone as far as you have, but I think it's even more remarkable that you're giving back to right, that kid right. that you once were, which I think is just the coolest thing in the entire world. It's like the ultimate underdog story. And I, I adore that. I can't wait to see what you do. And like now, Mac, where can everybody find you and all the info on Ed Acme and how, how can they get involved with Ed Acme if they're interested? Yeah, certainly. I mean, we do, we do have a website at Acme, E-D-A-C-E-M-E dot, you know, dot com. That's our website. We also do have presence on all social media, right from Instagram to LinkedIn to Facebook. Same name, at Acme. If you feel compelled to get on board or support our mission, those are the places that you can find us. But more importantly, we're looking to reach a wider audience of young people around the world in order to be able to help them realize their fullest potential. And we also do need uh, people that would be 
like myself, because I cannot do this by myself. We need collective action. And just like I have been supported by many other people, I think we we'll need a lot more people who've been through similar journeys to, to guide these students on that path to success. So fundamentally, I'd say that those are like, so it's the prevailing needs and, and information about how we can be found. I adore that, Mac. Thank you so much for being here today and for all your wisdom and sharing your journey. And I just think you're amazing. And just thank you, thank you, thank you. And keep being the light to the world. I can't wait to see how Ed Acme does. And I'm sure you're going to be worldwide before we know it. <laughs> you know, yeah, I guess little by little, little by little, um, if, it's the, if it's the will of God for us to leave an indelible mark on the world by virtue of what you are doing, you know, then dynamite. At the end of the day, we can only do our best and leave the rest to the big man up there to, to make it happen. Amen to that, my friend. The only dream that I've been chasing is my own. So that's it for today's episode of Underdog. Head on over to iTunes and subscribe to the show. One lucky listener every single week that posts a review on iTunes will win a chance in the grand prize drawing to win a private VIP day with Pamela herself in Boston, Massachusetts. Be sure to go to theunderdogshow.com and pick up a copy of Pamela's free gift and join us on the next episode. <laughs>